0: And now we'll look at local and statewide news. If the Walmart parking lot looked a little slicker to you this weekend than the past few weeks, that's because a gushing fire hydrant leaked thousands of gallons of water over the pavement late last week. City of Kodiak Public Works Director Craig Walton says they're not entirely sure what caused the leak.
1: Not real sure exactly what happened. Looked like when the guys when they finally got it uncovered uh, the valve controlling the fire hydrant came apart for some reason. We don't believe it was frozen because it due to the depth, so we're not real sure what happened.
0: The hydrant formed a small fountain, he said. It leaked 500 gallons a minute for about a day and a half until they were able to make the repair on Saturday.
1: With the temperatures and everything else, turning it off was um, kind of one of them. <laughs> you turn it off, then it freezes on you, then you got bigger problems.
0: Some of the spilled water formed ice over the pavement, adding to what ice was already there. Walton said Walmart took care of chipping and salting the new ice already, and the fire hydrant is up and running again. This has been Kodiak's coldest winter in more than five years, and public works has been stretched, making sure roads and other public facilities continue to operate safely.
1: It's a huge increase in the workload, and, you know, with the amount of snow just takes us a while to get to everything and you know we're cleaning up as we can and doing the best that we can with what we've got for equipment that you know and then we have our occasional equipment breakdown which slows us down but the guys are working pretty much seven days a week so trying to keep the the street safe as best we can
0: and with kodiak's unusually cold winter continuing walton is urging residents to keep water running from their taps to prevent pipes from freezing he says a stream about the width of a pencil is sufficient. Engine trouble on the ferry Matanuska has stranded travelers in the upper Lynn Canal, but communities, local businesses, and a state senator, as well as the Department of Transportation, put together a scheme to get almost everyone home. Henry Leisha and Claire Stremple report from Haynes.
2: Wrangell High School basketball teams sailed up the Lynn Canal on Thursday to play a series of games against Haynes. Coach Cody Angerman says the plan was to play on Friday night and again on Saturday before heading back on the Alaska Marine Highway System.
3: And then we actually would have been back in Wrangell like today, Monday at 6 a.m. Obviously that plan's gone and try, just trying to figure out something else at this point. So,
2: AMHS canceled sailings of the Matanuska this weekend to carry out engine repairs. It was the only ferry running the Lynn Canal. Wrangell's players and coaches have been living out of a classroom at the Haines School for the past few days. Heavy snow has made it difficult to do anything but play ball. We've
3: had, you know, three practices and the last two days already, so and so we've been giving him the speech of you know, you got an advantage being on this trip because we've gotten a lot of gym time anyway.
2: Wrangell wasn't the only stranded basketball team. Skagway's basketball teams got stuck in Juneau after traveling for a series of games. They were among a number of Upper Lynn Canal residents stranded there over the weekend.
4: When Skagway mayor Andrew Cromada heard the basketball team was stuck after two weeks of travel, he started making phone calls. He wasn't the only one to call State Senator Jesse Keel over the weekend. So Keel reached out to the Department of Transportation.
3: I don't know that everyone uh, understood the entirety of just how uh, weathered in uh, everyone was and just how many school kids and and folks uh, in Juneau on medical really needed to get back.
4: He says once DOT heard the situation, it quickly chartered a passenger-only catamaran with Juno's Allen Marine to make the Upper Lynn Canal run. There's no playbook for private charters, so DOT worked with city managers and the senator to come up with a plan. Allen Marine crewed the vessel, but Alaska Marine Highway System was in charge of ticketing. Students were given priority. Keel says he's pleased with the response, but he'd like to treat the cause of the problem rather than the symptoms.
3: Yeah, I mean, the, the most critical thing is that we have got to have a fleet of ferries. It It's just essential, right? In, in the past, when this sort of thing has popped up, uh, a vessel has an engine go down, something really goes wrong, we've got another ferry that can divert and fill in, and there's a little inconvenience for folks around the region as schedules get shuffled, but we all help each other out, and nobody is just flat-stranded.
2: The Allen Marine catamaran picked up passengers from Juneau at noon on Monday. The packed ship arrived in Haines three hours later. It was raining and blowing wind on the docks when the boat arrived. Haines Mayor Jan Hill and the Haines Drama Debate and Forensics team got off along with the latest edition of the Chilkat Valley News. Haynes resident Sarah Chapel snagged a copy of the paper while she waited to board the boat bound for Juneau.
5: I feel pretty lucky to get the first newspaper delivered to Haynes, and I feel doubly lucky that we just might make it to Juneau today.
2: Wrangell's basketball teams made it on to the boat bound for Juneau. Coach Angerman says they will fly home from there.
4: But Mayor Andrew Cremata says Skagway's basketball team couldn't make it home from Juneau. High winds on the Upper Lynn Canal were a game-changer for the Panthers.
3: The odds were extremely against them being able to get into Skagway. So we had to make a really difficult decision about 10 minutes before the boat was due to leave.
4: Local businesses, including White Pass and Yukon Route Railroad, pledged financial support to keep the students well-fed and put up in hotels. The team's been on the road for two weeks and three days. They hope to catch a flight home on Tuesday before another storm comes in. Reporting in Haines, I'm Claire Strimple with Henry Alicia.
0: An environmental group doesn't think it's fair that federal money was given to a timber industry group to assess trees that could be suitable for helicopter logging in the Tonkis National Forest. Documents obtained by Earth Justice show a contract between the State Division of Forestry and the Alaska Forest Association worth up to $1.3 million. I think it really just highlights the imbalance in how the public is getting to participate in these planning and management processes
6: and how the industry is getting to participate in it.
0: That's Olivia Glasscock, an associate attorney with Earth, Earth Justice, who says it's like paying an industry group to pick the trees it wants to harvest. But Chris Macish, the director of the Alaska Division of Forestry, says that's not the case. He helped oversee the contract. The Forest Service first granted the money to the state. He says both the Forest Service and the state are trying to gain more experience in selecting marketable trees. Recently, Southeast Alaska's only helicopter logging contractors stopped doing business. Masish said he would like to see another company come online. And he says there needs to be a new generation of foresters who know how to facilitate that work. It makes sense the Alaska Forest Association, or AFA, would be helping with that. The group has been around a long time.
1: I wouldn't agree that it's uh, AFA picking the trees. It's actually a training process to identify the criteria that makes a tree economic and then can be safely uh, flown out.
0: The location of some of this training has been hotly debated because it's happening on land slated for a controversial timber sale. Prince of Wales Island could be the location of the largest federal timber sale in Alaska in more than a decade. But the plans are being litigated in federal district court. The plaintiffs, including Earth Justice, say the Forest Service hasn't provided a detailed map of the areas that could be logged, which make it impossible for the public to weigh in on the environmental impact. Earth Justice says it would like to see the Forest Service end this grant, quote, immediately. Alaska lawmakers are weighing whether to change the law that sets the, the amount of permanent fund dividends. The leaders in the Alaska Senate have different ideas about what that change will be, but but they say they may be able to reach common ground on a proposal this year. Alaska Public Media and KTOO's Andrew Kitchenman has this story.
5: Senate President Kathy Giesel says every senator supports permanent fund dividends.
6: The question is how to make it sustainable and how to protect the fund itself, which is truly our financial future. If we can protect and grow the fund itself, we won't be tied to the ups and downs of oil prices.
5: Dividends used to be calculated using a formula set out in a 1982 law. But after oil prices fell five years ago, things changed. In 2016, former Governor Bill Walker, an independent, cited that drop in revenue when he vetoed half of the dividend money. He said that the full amount threatened the future of the fund, dividends, and the state's economy since then, the legislature has set the dividend amount each year. Republican Governor Mike Dunleavy was elected on a platform of restoring PFDs to the amount in the 1982 formula, but the legislature didn't agree to the roughly $3,000 dividends after Dunleavy proposed deep cuts to state services. The legislature hasn't been able to agree on changing the formula, but Giesel, an Anchorage Republican, thinks this could be the year.
6: Members of the House and Senate truly understand the math problem we have and that if we overdraw the the earnings part of the permanent fund itself, we are not, we're going to be decimating future funds, future permanent fund dividends and the fund itself.
5: The 1982 formula is based on the average permanent fund earnings of recent years. That was the main use of the earnings until 2018. That's when the state began drawing from earnings to pay for government. And this draw is based on a different formula, roughly 5% of the fund's total value. Giesel says she thinks the legislature will land on a solution of setting aside a quarter of that annual draw for dividends. Tom Baggich also is interested in considering changes to the dividend formula. He's an Anchorage Democrat who serves as the Senate's minority leader. But Begich says the dividend change should be part of a broader set of changes to close the $1.5 billion gap between what the state would spend with the current dividend formula and what it brings in.
6: Well, I don't think the dividend should be the primary means for balancing the budget. What I do believe is that we are going to have to look at a sustainable dividend that will be lower than the statutory dividend today.
5: Begich would like dividends to be higher than what Giesel is eyeing. For example, he's open to setting dividends at one-third of the draw. That would put it similar to, or slightly below, the $1,600 dividend amount of the past two years. Begich also wants the legislature to increase the taxes paid by the oil and gas industry by $600 to $700 million.
6: If you're going to be asking Alaskans to take that kind of, um, of uh, sacrifice, then you have to be asking the industry that as well.
5: Giesel's been skeptical of changing the oil tax system without first considering the effect on the industry. And any change to either the dividend formula or oil taxes could face a veto from Dunleavy. He supports changing the state constitution to require public votes on dividend formula changes or tax increases. And he said in a recent interview that he doubts the legislature will send him a change to the dividend formula that would reduce it to a quarter of the draw. I don't think that's going to happen
3: because I think the legislature knows where I stand on this, but I'm certainly willing to engage them in a discussion
5: on what this is going to look like going forward, but it's got to be something that the people support. It remains to be seen how quickly work on the dividend can be completed. Giesel says her personal goal is to finish the session by the end of April. In Juneau, I'm Andrew Kitchenman.
0: Two Republican U.S. Senators, Susan Collins and Mitt Romney, said on Monday it's more likely that former National Security Advisor John Bolton will be called as a witness in President Trump's impeachment trial, now that details from his book are emerging. But Alaska Senator Lisa Murkowski still isn't saying how she'll vote on witnesses. She told Alaska Public Media Washington correspondent Liz Ruskin that she's trying to disregard the passions of the day as she hears the case. The seventh day of the impeachment trial ended with a lecture from former constitutional law
7: professor Alan Dershowitz. Murkowski says it felt like she was back in law school.
6: It really did, and I was taking notes like I was back in Con Law 101.
7: Murkowski, Romney, and Collins are among a handful of Republicans who've suggested they are open to hearing from witnesses. Murkowski says news reports about Bolton's book have continued to pique her interest about what he might say, though she believes it's too soon for her to decide on witnesses.
6: I need to wait until... The, the White House managers have finished the presentation of their case before I make a determination.
7: And before that, senators will submit written questions to the lawyers. And before they vote on any particular witness, they'll vote on whether they need more evidence. Murkowski believes in proceedings step by step. Some senators exit the Senate chamber and tell reporters the case against the president is ironclad. Others proclaim it's a hoax. The most substantial remarks Murkowski has made since the trial began is that twice, she said, House managers presenting the case offended her. Congressman Jerry Nadler offended her by alleging that senators who didn't agree to call witnesses were engaged in a cover-up. Murkowski also bristled at Representative Adam Schiff's remark on Friday about heads-on pikes. That is, he cited a news report warning that senators who vote against the president would face retaliation.
6: When statements are made that are over the top, that are out of line, that are unnecessary, and that just go to further inflame the tensions and the anxiety and the passions of so many, we just don't need to do it.
7: Murkowski says, though, that her reactions, her critiques of the presenters, aren't decisive.
6: You know, I may have made a a little jot to myself, ugh, you know, or, you know, smiley face, whatever, but I... I am looking at this in a way and in a manner that I pledged to myself that I would do and that I stated to others and gave my oath that I'm going to to deliver impartial justice. So I'm trying to look at all of this objectively.
7: So to extend the law school metaphor, Murkowski might record her emotions in the margins of her notebook, but she says they won't influence her answers on the final exam. Reporting from Washington, I'm Liz
4: Ruskin. The local news is supported in part by Ardinger's Fine Furnishings, home of the tempur Ergo Collection and the tempur Breeze, made especially for those who sleep hot. The Breeze cushions and supports you while channeling excess heat away from the mattress. Tempur-Pedic's Ergo Base allows you to move the bed into multiple ergonomic positions for sleeping or relaxing. 486-5554
8: and by Arctic Physical Therapy Services, Incorporated. Professional rehabilitation for all your physical therapy needs. We repair the world's most complex machine. 813 Mill Bay Road,
9: 486-4499. This is Alaska Fish Radio. I'm Lainey Welch. halibut catches will be revealed next week in Anchorage. More after this.
3: The Alaska Marine Safety Education Association is offering drill conductor training in Kodiak on February 28th and 29th. Sign on at amse.org.
9: Pacific halibut stakeholders are bracing for bad news for 2020 and beyond when catches are revealed next week in Anchorage. International Pacific Halibut Commission lead scientist Ian Stewart put the industry on notice in November when he summarized the outlook for commercial fisheries.
3: The model survey trends are down, both in numbers and weight per unit effort. From the commercial fishery CPUE, we have mixed trends coastwide, however, relatively flat, with some brighter spots and some not so good spots across the coast.
9: IPHC scientists track the halibut stock from Northern California to British Columbia to the far reaches of the Bering Sea. The Central Gulf showed the biggest decreases by all measures, and Stewart said the spawning portion of the the coastwide Pacific halibut stock decreased from 2018 to 2019.
3: This is as predicted and has, has been predicted for several years. This is projected to continue for all 2020 TCEYs greater than approximately 18.4 million pounds, essentially the break-even point over the next three years.
9: TCEY is total constant exploitation yield and means the amount of removals of halibut over 26 inches for commercial, recreational, Recreational, sports, subsistence, and bycatch in other fisheries. For 2019, the coastwide TCEY was 38.6 million pounds. Alaska's fishing industry share was about 20 million pounds. Stewart said bycatch of halibut taken in other fisheries also increased.
3: The non-directed discards or bycatch was up from just a little over 6 million pounds to a little over 6.4 million pounds.
9: The halibut meetings run February 3rd through 7th at the Captain Cook Hotel in Anchorage. The meetings will be streamed live. Find links at alaskafishradio.com. Fish Radio is also brought to you by Ocean Beauty Seafoods. In Kodiak, I'm Lainey Welch. This is
8: the Island Messenger, a look at personal messages, the weather, and community announcements.
0: Welcome to this noon edition of the Island Messenger In Kodiak today, it's 19 degrees, lightly snowing. This afternoon, expect some snow with areas of blowing snow after 4 p.m. Highs near 29 degrees and north winds 10 to 15 miles per hour, increasing to 20 to 25 miles per hour. A 100% chance of precipitation today with 1 to 2 inches of snow accumulation possible. Snow also tonight could be heavy at times. Widespread blowing snow mainly between 7 p.m. and 4 a.m., lows around 26 and north winds 25 to 30 miles per hour, increasing to 35 to 40 miles per hour in the evening. A 100% chance of precipitation and 7 to 10 inches of snow accumulation possible. Wednesday, more snow, areas of blowing snow before 10 a.m., highs near 29 and north winds. West winds, 20 to 30 miles per hour, decreasing to 10 to 20 miles per hour. Gusts as high as 45 miles per hour there too. 100% chance precipitation tomorrow as well, and 1 to 3 inches of snow possible. There is a blizzard warning tonight, continuing through Wednesday. And Homer today, 12 degrees, mostly cloudy. Today, a 40% chance of snow mainly in the afternoon. Mostly cloudy otherwise, with a high near 19 degrees. And up in Anchorage, it's 6 degrees and mostly cloudy today, a 20% chance of snow before noon, partly sunny with a high near 11 degrees and north winds 5 to 10 miles per hour. Mostly cloudy tonight in Anchorage, a low around 6 degrees with north winds around 15 miles per hour. And a 30% chance of snow on Wednesday for Anchorage after 9 a.m., mostly cloudy and a high near 21. Looking at our marine forecast for today, from Marmot Island to Sikhanak, there's a gale warning through Wednesday. Today, northeast winds of 15 knots, increasing to 40 knots in the afternoon with seas at five feet, building to 11 feet in the afternoon with freezing spray and snow. And tonight, northeast winds of 45 knots with seas at 20 feet and freezing spray with snow. Cheneyac Bay has a gale warning tonight and Wednesday. Today, north winds of 10 knots, increasing to 25 knots in the afternoon. Seas at 2 feet, building to 9 feet in the afternoon with snow. Tonight, northeast winds of 35 knots with seas at 15 feet, subsiding to 11 feet after midnight with freezing spray and snow. Marmont Bay has a gale warning tonight and Wednesday. Today, north winds of 10 knots, becoming northeast 20 knots in the afternoon. Seas at 2 feet, building to 7 feet in the afternoon with freezing spray and snow. Tonight, northeast winds of 35 knots with seas at 15 feet, subsiding to 8 feet after midnight with freezing spray and snow. Shellacaff Strait has a storm warning tonight and heavy freezing spray warning through Wednesday. Today, north winds of 20 knots, increasing to 30 knots in the afternoon with seas at 5 feet, building to 11 feet in the afternoon with heavy freezing spray. And tonight, north winds of 40 knots, increasing to 50 knots after midnight, seas at 19 feet with heavy freezing spray and expect some snow there as well. Today is the 28th of January. Sunrise this morning was at 921 a.m. Sunset tonight will be at 526 p.m. That's 8 hours and 5 minutes of daylight, which is 4 minutes 13 seconds more than we got yesterday. The record high on this day was 47 degrees in 1930 and the record low was negative 16 in 1989. Our tides for today: high tide for Kodiak will be coming in at 3:45 p.m., 8.45 feet. Low tide will be out at 10:15 p.m., negative 0.02 feet. Over in the west side, high tides at 4:29 p.m., 17.90 feet, and low tide will be out at 10:46 p.m., negative 0.06 feet. A few community announcements: there's a whale fest planning meeting today at 5:30 p.m in the Shunak Tribal Conference Room, upstairs from the bingo hall. Anyone who's interested in whales is welcome to attend. This year marks the beginning of a new revival of WhaleFest, and now is the chance to get involved. The volunteer meeting will be tomorrow evening. You can also join us for the 2020 WhaleFest in Kodiak, but now is your chance to make a difference. If you have any questions or comments, come to the meeting. So, Sorry, that's not tomorrow evening. That's this evening, Tuesday, January 28th at 5.30 p.m. The first guided bird walk and eBird workshop will be held this Saturday, February 1st. This is the kickoff workshop for the Kodiak Big Year Challenge. Uh, People will be meeting in the parking lot of Kodiak College at 10 a.m. The group will work together, identifying birds and making lists at one or two nearby locations. They'll then return to the college where new users will be introduced to eBird in a hands-on fashion, exploring its powerful tools and inputting, inputting the day's bird lists. This event is intended for birders of all levels, especially those who are less familiar with eBird. Ideally, sign up for the Big Year Challenge before attending but folks can help you get registered on Saturday if needed. Binoculars will be available for those who need them. Also, the January prize will be either the Sibley Bird app, a similar bird guide if you're not an app user. Winner will be randomly drawn from those who are registered for the Big Year Challenge by the end of this week, so you may as well sign up. For more information, please contact either Cindy Tressel at 486-2878 or Danny Hernandez at 512-7719. February 1st is also the third annual Community Baby Shower, Welcoming Babies of 2019. All babies born in 2019 and their families are invited to attend an afternoon of food, door prizes, games, speakers, and more. Located at the Canna Cognac Building, 194 Alamac Drive on New York Island, the Community Baby Shower starts at 11 a.m. and goes until 2. Uh, also, a monthly meeting of the Kodiak Women's Resource and Crisis Center Board of Directors is tonight. Uh, That's going to be at the KWRCC Crisis Center office, 418 Hillside Drive. That meeting starts at 6 p.m. and it is open to the public. And that's all I have for you for today.
8: Listen for the Island Messenger here on Public Radio KMXT three times a day, Monday through Friday at 9 a.m., during the midday report at 1220, and in the evening at 7 o'clock. If you have a community announcement or personal message, including lost and found items or pets, you can call KMXT at 486-3181, fax us at 486-2733, or email psa at kmxt.org.